It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Monday, September 12th. What happens if you put a whole bunch of crypto transactions into a metaphorical blender? And then you lock them up in a black box, and then you shake that black box up, put that box back in the blender shake it up some more, and then spit it out the other side. What do you get? Something that feels kind of similar to the experience of using a decentralized app called Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash is something known as a mixer, which is a service that allows people to obfuscate both the origin and the output of certain kinds of crypto transactions. It helps with privacy and with anonymity. But federal regulators say cyber criminals, of course, used services like Tornado Cash for money laundering purposes. And as a result, Tornado Cash was recently hit with sanctions by the U.S. Department of Treasury. Now, privacy is a key objective of many crypto proponents. It's one of the things that's really important and often makes the asset class attractive to certain kinds of investors. If this principle can't be guaranteed, then crypto's utility for folks who care about privacy becomes more questionable. Today, I'm joined by Bloomberg crypto blogger Emily Nicole. There's no real regulatory oversight yet of what's happening on these exchanges. And we'll discuss whether or not a decentralized service can truly be regulated and what the issues are surrounding crypto and privacy. So, Tornado Cash. This is a decentralized protocol that allows transaction mixing. There's a lot of attention on it right now. Let's start by explaining all three of those things. What is Tornado Cash? What is mixing in crypto? And why are folks currently talking about it? So Tornado Cash is a platform that runs mostly on the Ethereum blockchain. What it does is it allows users to send their Ethereum tokens to Tornado Cash and while they belong to Tornado Cash, they're in a kind of pot where it's mixing it around and jumbling it up with all the other Ethereum tokens that have been sent to Tornado. And then eventually, you know, once you take them back out again, it helps to obfuscate the transaction history of those tokens. So if you were somebody who's particularly concerned about financial privacy, you might find Tornado Cash a really great tool for that because it helps to obscure the public nature of the blockchain. But if you were also somebody who might have gotten those tokens through illicit means, shall we say, um, it helps cover your tracks there as well. It sounds like this is one of those classic situations in crypto where the thing that makes it useful, interesting, attractive, especially to privacy proponents, 
also makes it useful, interesting, attractive to people who might be accused of criminal or otherwise nefarious behavior. Is that kind of a reasonable assessment of the world? Yeah, pretty much. And it's one of the reasons why we're talking about it today, right? So the US imposed sanctions on Tornado Cash in August. And the reason for that was that some of the activity that had been happening on Tornado Cash had been illicit and they had evidence that hackers in North Korea had been using it to launder their stolen cryptocurrency in a way that was made it more difficult for investigators to track them. And because of that North Korean link in particular, that made it not just, you know, like a, an illegality target for US authorities, but also a political one. When we generally talk about the US or other government sanctioning somebody, and there's been a lot of sanctions to go around um, since Russia invaded Ukraine, it tends to be against like knowable, named legal entities, a person, an organization, a company. Tornado Cash is a software protocol. <laughs> like, what in what has it meant to sanction a piece of software in practice, and what are some of the issues that have arisen as a result? So back in March, my colleague and fellow reporter Mia Shen, she interviewed the founders of Tornado Cash. And at the time, they said it's not technically possible to mm -hmm. sanction a blockchain protocol like Tornado because technically it's a piece of technology and being in blockchain, not one person controls it. There isn't, you know, a direct company that you can say they're in charge, they're operating it, they're the ones responsible for everything that happens on it. Mm -hmm. It's built through open source code, which means multiple developers are contributing to it. And supposedly, according to the founders, a community of people are the ones running it and operating it. So just because a group of people built it in the first place, that doesn't necessarily mean you can point the finger at them and say they're the ones responsible for it. Um, but as things have gone on, the reasons why the, these sanctions were able to be enforced is because eventually what happened is that other providers who service Tornado in different ways that weren't to do with the blockchain's day-to-day -day operations, so you know the email addresses of people who worked on it or the website that you would visit to go to Tornado Cash, these were things that were run by centralized providers, US companies that had rules and laws that they have to abide by. And so if Tornado is a sanctioned entity, they can no longer do business with them. Those services went down and therefore Tornado became effectively sanctioned. Well, it wasn't only the services went down, it was that those providers kicked Tornado and any individual founders, developers that they could identify off of those services, yeah. right? So it's the way that these sanctions work. It's not that there's like a magic button that the US or other government can press and these things happen. It's the organizations involved have to take active steps and they, they absolutely did those things. So, you know, Tornado Cash, you can no longer find the server for Tornado Cash on Discord, which is kind of like a chat platform. You can no longer find, as you said, their code hosted on services like GitHub. You can still find their code hosted in other places by other people, which I think speaks to what you were alluding to in terms of the decentralization of the thing itself, even if its services were centralized. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why even in the immediate aftermath of the sanctions, everyone was wondering, well, you know, if we can't look at the code on something like GitHub, how will we find out who might have actually been in charge of this or whether the founders could have profited from Tornado Cash and therefore have some responsibility for its ongoing maintenance. But thankfully, I guess for US authorities, uh, those things were uploaded elsewhere. And it's part of the narrative around crypto is that 
if one thing is built somewhere and it's not controlled by any particular entity, what's to stop that being replicated? What's to stop someone building that tornado cache again under a different name for everybody to use? Crypto loves acronyms, and there's one that I encountered fairly recently, which is DINO or D-I-N-O, which is Decentralized in Name Only, which is kind of an increasing criticism of so much of the fundamental infrastructure of crypto. You know, it's applied to everything from the folks who are like, Web3 is great, and then you, you know, poke a little bit harder, and it's just a bunch of Web2 companies that have, like, Web3 skins. It's things like Tornado Cash, where even if, as we've said, this protocol could be hosted in lots of other places, it really relied on a centralized infrastructure for everything from its email hosting to its actually code repository. What are the alternatives here, right? If, if you are a person who is serious about maintaining your privacy, having some degree of freedom from government interference or, you know, resistance to censorship, what does the present and the future potentially look like for you? So Tornado wasn't the only crypto mixing tool out there, and there are others. Um, so, so that's like an immediate one. But if we're thinking about ways that you can kind of step further away from the centralization and step further towards something that possibly couldn't be sanctioned or would have more difficulty in it anyway in being taken down, uh, the first thing is privacy coins. So there are cryptocurrencies like Zcash, if you'll excuse my British accent with the Z, um, <laughs> and Monero, um, which are slightly different to other tokens in that they they help to obscure that pathway a little bit more. The only thing is with those cryptocurrencies is that they're not widely accepted. You're not going to be able to do as much with a token like Monero or Zcash as you would be with an Ether token. So you're a little bit more limited in that way. Coming up, more from my conversations with Emily Nicole about how the wider crypto community has responded to the sanctions against Tornado Cash. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
One follow-up question for you, Emily, is, and I'm just going to say this thing that I say all the time, which is, you know, everything old is new in crypto. And one of the oldest tensions is this tension between this idea of if you want perfect privacy protections, you have to allow a certain amount of criminality, right? Where it's like, if something is really good at protecting your privacy, then it's definitely going to be used by criminals. That is, you could argue, a dramatic oversimplification. But in a lot of ways, that's also the conversation that folks are having in crypto right now. Where are people landing on either side of this question? If you think about what the broader financial world looks like, there's an element of criminality in all of it, right? So be naive to think that you could feasibly remove criminality from every aspect of it. But what concerns people the most is that there's no real regulatory oversight yet of what's happening on these exchanges or on these platforms, particularly ones like Tornado Cash, which don't really have like, you know, a jurisdiction or a company office that you can point to and a CEO that you can bring in front of the Senate. And so that's one of the concerns is that like if you can't have any oversight at all or have anybody that you can point to as a responsible figure, then then what routes are left to you in order to be able to shut those things down? Right. So this is essentially the argument that in order to have privacy, you actually need some amount of centralization. Like somebody's got to take one for the team and, you know, be the entity that could get in trouble if you know, bad things are happening and regulators or other enforcement agencies are trying to crack down on those bad things. Yeah, I think we're seeing it more and more now that crypto people who have espoused the benefits of decentralization to like the nth degree are now starting to say things like, oh, well, you know, we'll never be able to have full decentralization. We have to aim for (laughs) the best amount that we can possibly get because we're never going to be able to do the actual full thing. And you'll even see CEOs of major crypto exchanges say this now, whereas, you know, maybe a few years ago, you might have seen the full like Bitcoin rally whammy of, you know, like centralization is dead and everything is in De- is DeFi in future. And so as that kind of narrative changes and people have to start thinking about this differently, it'll be interesting to see what tools the crypto industry tries to come up with to get around these centralization risks. In the aftermath of the Tornado Cash sanction and the subsequent arrest of this developer outside of the United States, a lot of the conversation took on kind of a very, you know, first they came for Tornado Cash kind of tone. And there's this real kind of contrast between the, well, I guess we've got, we have to give up some freedoms to have some freedoms conversation. And the folks who are, you know, kind of fighting the fight that any slope is too slippery, right? That you you have to have this really aggressive, assertive, fundamental approach to defending against this. What recourse do those folks really have if they're attempting to kind of go up against governments? Whether or not it's possible for, you know, a crypto person to sue something like the Department of Justice if they felt like they were being treated unfairly. I mean, you know better than I if there have been any successful examples of that, and I bet there are a few. (laughs) Um, But there is definitely a thinking, at least among the crypto cognoscenti, that anything is possible. That's the Mm -hmm. dream of Bitcoin, right? The dream of crypto is that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And that includes evading total government sanction or oversight. And if you live in the web long enough, that maybe there'll be a way that your token could become completely out of sight and out of mind if the government were to come knocking. There are always going to be people who are trying to outrun the attempts of people in positions of power, governments, state actors, non-state actors. 
And then those governments, state actors, non-state actors are going to be throwing often billions of dollars at the problem of keeping up with the people who are trying to outrun them. And it, there's definitely a feeling that that is starting to emerge in crypto right now. The challenge is the sums involved on the part of, you know, the folks in crypto who really care about these are like, they have way fewer resources than the governments who are equally keen to crack down. But then the governments themselves are also slightly on the back foot, right? It's always a you regulate um, out of existence rather than into existence, as one of the former UK regulators likes to tell me every time I ask him about crypto. Um, so what they'll be thinking is like, you know, how can we regulate the bad stuff out of crypto rather than how can we regulate the good stuff in? Got it. Well, Emily, thank you as always for being on the show. You can find more of Emily's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, or follow her on Twitter. She's at Emily J. Nicole. That's E-M-I-L-Y-J-N-I-C-O-L-L-E. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, El Salvador is a year into its great Bitcoin experiment. On September 7th, 2021, it became the first country in the world to accept the token as legal tender. What's happened since? Well, it's been a ride. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Barrero. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.